0: As we are ending the Book of Revelation, um, I think tonight uh, is a message that um, is very extremely important for us to, there's something here for us to take home, and it's very important for us to understand not only the implications here, but what it means for us uh, today as uh, we live in this world. So chapter 18, Book of Revelation, if you need a Bible, there's some on the front platform, John has, well, he did have some, but just raise your hand. We'll make sure you get a Bible, because we're going to go through the whole chapter, and uh, we want you to follow along with us We study the books of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, so we're getting uh, close to uh, ending the book of Revelation. I hope you've been blessed. There is a special blessing, remember... That we saw in chapter one for those who read these words, those who hear these words, and those who keep these words. And um, I just want to say that there's a lot of people that have never studied the book of Revelation, and we're privileged to be able to do that here on Wednesday nights. Um, there's a, uh, even a lot of Christians, even pastors, that say that the book of Revelation is is not an important study or. Um, I know pastors that say they will not take their congregation through the book of Revelation. And that's unfortunate. Um, This book is meant to be studied. And it's very important for us to understand that everything that is taking place now um, is leading to something and and somewhere. And it's all leading to the return of the Lord. And we should be more excited than ever. We are the generation, obviously, that is closer to the return of the Lord than any other generation in the church. And I really believe that we are in the last days and that the return of the Lord, uh, he can come for his church at any moment. We are seeing events happen around this at a rapid pace. And remember that Jesus said that these signs are like birth pains. Even Paul wrote about that, that, you you know, labor pains. And of course, when a, a woman goes into labor, the contractions, the labor pains become more frequent and more intense. And that's what we're seeing today. Um, The things that have taken place in the last 20 years, um, all pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ that we're in the last days, absolutely incredible, how you can read the newspaper and then read your Bible. And it's going to happen at a faster pace. What my prayer is for us here at Calvary Chapel is that we would be ones that we live in the expectancy of the soon return of Jesus Christ. And that's the way the Lord desires for us to live. I I believe he wanted every generation to really be looking for the return of the Lord. And John writes that when we see him, we will be like him. And he who has this hope, that is of seeing him, purifies himself. And it does something to us. Even as Paul would write that we are to keep our eyes on the things above, not in the things of this earth. And that's one of the things that we're going to really see come out in chapter 18 of the book of Revelation here. And so, um, Father, we do ask that as we begin our Bible study, that um, we're just not looking at um, prophecy, which we are, but um, this has a message for us here tonight. So I pray that you would touch our hearts and that we would understand that this world is not our hope and this world is going to come to an end. And it's going to come to a disastrous end. But you haven't left us without any hope. And we have a blessed hope that you're going to come for your church for your people. May we be ones that are looking for the return of the Lord. The commandment was given to us to be wise, to be watchful, to be faithful. Because Jesus said, I come at a time that you do not know when you're least expected. And Lord, we can get so weighed down with cares of life, with uh, family, with business, with jobs. That's, that's all part of this side of eternity. But Lord, we're reminded once again to keep you the priority. And Lord, we know that um, in these last days, as we saw last week, there's going to be a lot of deception. Even as we're going to see on Sunday that Paul's warning Timothy that in the latter times that there's going to be those giving themselves over to doctrines of demons, deceiving spirits. So the way for us to be wise is to be in the Word of God here. And I pray that we would never take for granted the privilege that we have go through your word, to go through this book that has a blessing that is attached to it. And I pray that if there's any of us that are here tonight that we can become lethargic, we can become, um, Lord, just kind of apathetic um, towards the return of the Lord that our hearts would be stirred. That would cause us to desire to want to live for you and prioritize you and to be watching for your son's return. And so, Lord, um, I thank you that, that we're here to be able to be edified and encouraged and instructed in your word. So just bless our hearts, open our ears to hear from you, help us to remember we need to be turning off the ringers on our phones so we can be free for the next moments to just be able to focus on what the word is declaring to us. So teach us now by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may recall, if you were with us last time, as we looked at chapter 17, we saw the woman riding the beast. And on her forehead was a name that was written, Mystery Babylon the Great. And at the end of the chapter, we saw that the kings of the world turned on this Babylonian system and destroyed the world, this Mystery Babylon. Now, as we go through chapter 18, we see Babylon being talked about again and being destroyed once again as judgment falls upon Great Babylon. So it can cause confusion sometimes with the reader who says, hey, I thought that we saw Babylon being destroyed in chapter 17. Now we see it again in chapter 18 being destroyed. So what's going on? And as a lot of you know that if you've studied the book of Revelation, the thing that we've got to understand and see is that the Babylon of chapter 17 and the Babylon of chapter 18 are two different manifestations of Babylon. Babylon. You see, in chapter 17, as we talked about religious Babylon, that false religious system that will be set up in the tribulation period, a one-world religious system, a false church, if you would, that is first going to be supported by the beast, the Antichrist, as the woman is going to be riding the beast. But the beast will ultimately destroy her, Because as we talked about how the Antichrist in chapter 6, chapter 6 through 19 speaks of that period, that seven-year period called the tribulation period. In chapter 6, verse 2, the first seal that is opened up the rider riding on a white horse. He has a crown. He's conquering under conquer. He has a bow, but he doesn't have an arrow. And of course, we identified the rider on that white horse as the Antichrist. Daniel chapter nine verse twenty-seven tells us that that final week, where God is dealing with Israel, that that uh, prophecy of Daniel chapter nine, that seventy weeks are determined for your people, Daniel. Who was Daniel's people? That was the Jews, and your holy city, that is Jerusalem. And so there's still one more week that is to be fulfilled. And it begins, as we talked about quite extensively in that prophecy, the last four verses of the book uh, of chapter nine in the book of Daniel. Very important for us to understand that everything needs to fit into that timetable that is given to us there. And in the final week, a week is a seven year period, that it begins with the Antichrist confirming a covenant with Israel and and then halfway in that week uh, that he's going to go in and desecrate the temple. We know that Paul explains that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in the middle of the tribulation period and we saw the middle of the tribulation period in chapters 11 and 12 and 13 of the book of Revelation that he's going to go into the rebuilt uh, temple in Jerusalem. He's going to set up an image of himself. He's going to proclaim himself as God as even as Paul writes, he will exalt himself above all that is called God as he sits Uh, As God in the temple of God to be worshipped in other words the Antichrist who is directly influenced by Satan is going to proclaim himself as God to be worshipped we know from chapter 13 that there will be no buying or selling of anyone who does not make their allegiance to the Antichrist he's going to destroy that false world religious system that false church if you would that is existing in the beginning of the tribulation period, the first three and a half years. And we know that that false church is gonna serve the purposes of the Antichrist. But once he shows his true colors and once he goes into the the temple there, the rebuilt temple, he is not going to share his glory and his power with the woman. And so the goal of the Antichrist is to destroy the true Christians in the tribulation period. And we also know as he is going to go after Israel... Because it's going to be the Jews that are going to reject him. They're going to reject him as the Messiah. They're going to reject that the image that he sets up. And a remnant of them are going to flee to the wilderness, probably the rock city of Petra, as we look at Isaiah mentions that. And there they're going to hide away for three and a half years. But there is going to be great persecution against those Christians, the tribulation saints. Now, once again, I want to remind you that I believe that the church is going to be raptured before this seven-year period. And it's interesting that when the true church is taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation, that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth, that all of a sudden there's going to be a false church that's going to come and it's gonna come in its place. People are still gonna be very religious. And it's interesting that today we hear that there are those who say that we need to keep God out of everything. Here's the thing to remember that God made us to where man has an innate need to worship. In our soul and in our spirits, man was made to worship, and we were made to worship him. We were created, Revelation chapter four tells us, for his good pleasures. And when man suppresses the truth, as we see in Romans chapter one, and begins to buy into the lie, he's going to worship something. He's going to worship somebody. The old Bob Dylan's song, those of us who are old enough, you got to worship something, right? And we remember that song and it is true. So those who are saying that all religion needs to be dead, that it needs to be completely, you know, taken out of, of you know, the hearts of men and mankind, it's not going to happen. In the tribulation period, there's going to be religion. It's going to be a false worldwide church that the world's going to come together, and the kings of those who align themselves with the Antichrist are going to support initially, but then he's going to set himself up as God to be worshipped as God. We do know that there's going to be those who will come to Jesus Christ in the tribulation period, and we're going to see even tonight that they're going to be persecuted very heavily, and the Jews are going to be persecuted, and then we're going to see that eventually that the Jews, their eyes are going to be open, as Paul talks about, a national, restoration that will take place and and in that day all of Israel will be saved. So there's all these pieces of the puzzle that are coming together and and anyone again who does not align themselves with this Antichrist um, as uh, we we see in the book of Revelation um, is going to be persecuted very heavily. But at first, chapter 17, a false religious system that is called Mystery Babylon. And Babylon was the center. As we talked about, you go back clearly to the book of Genesis, chapters 10 and 11. Nimrod was a mighty hunter on the earth. Uh, it doesn't mean that he was a great elk hunter or deer hunter or something like that. He was a hunter of, of men. And, uh, and he was one conquering. And he was conquering men. And he's the one that built Babel uh, or what was known as Babylon. He also uh, built uh, um, Nineveh, which is, ended up being the capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians you recall uh, back in the Old Testament were the ones that took the ten northern tribes of the house of Israel off into captivity. They were brutal. So it goes clear back to the beginning, Genesis when Babylon and the tower of Babylon, we talked about that quite uh, specifically last time. Chapter 18 here is not dealing with the religious Babylon it's dealing with a commercial economic Babylon. Now there are some similarities as we will see between the two Babylons in chapters 17 and 18. Both are under the rule of the Antichrist. Second of all, both have ruling queens. Number three, both are filled with blasphemy. Fourthly, both hate the saints. And then number five, both are associated with the kings of fornication. And then number six, both are judged and destroyed. But there's also some significant differences. Chapter 17, as I said, is a religious system. Chapter 18 is a commercial Babylon. Uh, Speaking of commercial Babylon the worldly system second of all the symbol chapter 17 uh, religious Babylon was symbolized by a harlot woman here a great city in chapter 18 Uh, thirdly chapter 17 uh, we identified Babylon with Rome that's what many believe that is speaking of Rome because we end at chapter 17 and the woman whom you saw speaking of that false religious system is the great city which we're over the kings of the earth so in John's time at the end of the first century it was Rome that was ruling over to the, the kings of the earth they were the dominating world power so you know it, it's identified with Rome and then chapter 18 it's interesting a city and it, it gives indication to a port city um, We know that it is religious Babylon in chapter 17 that's going to end up being hated by the kings of the earth. Chapter 18 we're going to see is loved by the kings of the earth, and they're going to wail and weep over the destruction of the city. So let's begin to look at the fall of Babylon, commercial Babylon, as we read in verse 1, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So after these things... That is a term that is repeated in the book of Revelation several times. After these things, Metatata. after what things? After the things of chapter 17, religious Babylon being destroyed by the Antichrist and the kings of the world, that one world religious system that will form after the true church is raptured away. And what will come together in the tribulation period is a coalition. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's going to be false. And it's going to be perhaps a coalition of false religious systems, um, maybe headquarters in Rome and then destroyed after it serves the purposes of the Antichrist. And and we read, after these things, John sees another angel that comes down from heaven. He has great authority and his glory is illuminating the earth. And the whole world lights up with his glory. Interesting. Verse 2, and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now the question arises from this chapter, and the debate arises among Bible scholars and those who study end-time prophecy, is that Babylon of Revelation 18, is it a literal city or is it a symbolic city? Now, some really good Bible teachers suggest that Babylon here in Revelation chapter 18, commercial Babylon, that is symbolic, like religious Babylon. Uh, that is, it's showing God's judgment on this world system that has corrupted the world, Throughout history, from the very beginning. Uh, other Bible teachers that are very good, very good scholars say that Babylon is literal here and it will be rebuilt on the banks of the, of the Euphrates River in Iraq as it stood in Daniel's day. Now, when you read the book of Daniel, Daniel called the forerunner to the book of Revelation that Daniel, of course, was taken off in captivity by Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon. He was taken off uh, to serve uh, under Nebuchadnezzar. He was the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. And we know that uh, as you read Daniel, it, it talks about Babylon, how, the power of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. And in uh, the book of Daniel, in chapter 4, it speaks how Nebuchadnezzar was on the walls of the city, looking out over the city and he was boasting this magnificent city that I have built and then of course he would go insane for seven years and then he would come back and in this belief as he gives his testimony there uh, in chapter four that uh, is very well we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because he gives you know his uh, expression of belief and worship to the God of heaven and earth. And, and so it's an amazing chapter to read, but uh, it is historians and archaeologists that believe that not only did you have Babylon with the hanging gardens that was a magnificent mountain of of, of, of flowers and a garden and all that, uh, but also it had walls, two walls around the city. The outer wall, they believe, some have suggested, was over 300 feet tall and was wide enough to have chariot races on top of it. So it was a magnificent city, it was huge, it was uh, beautiful. And I remembered that some of us that you know, are a little bit older that have been studying prophecy, that there was some excitement in the 1980s and, uh, because Saddam Hussein, and, and uh, we remember Saddam Hussein, that was the you know, dictator of Iraq, uh, and he was doing a project, spent millions of dollars. Uh, there are those who say trying to rebuild Babylon, the ancient city. And so there are books that were, you know, uh, put out that see uh, Saddam Hussein is rebuilding Babylon. Uh, It's going to be rebuilt just as the Bible uh, is giving indication that that's what's going to happen. But here's the thing. Of course, Saddam Hussein would, uh, we would go through the first Gulf War in the early 90s with uh, first President Bush. And then, of course, he would be taken out. Uh, when the second uh, President Bush went into Iraq. And so it really was never rebuilt. It really just became, you know, archeological site. And uh, Babylon, uh, as we look at it today, is just that, out there in the desert. And it seems like as we look at it today, that it's unlikely it's gonna be economic world center. Those who hold to this position that ancient Babylon is going to be rebuilt eventually point out the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 13 and Jeremiah chapter 51. Now, you might want to read those chapters. There are six chapters that talk about Babylon Isaiah chapter 13 and 14, uh, Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51, and here, chapters 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation. But in Isaiah 13 and Jeremiah chapter 51 states that Babylon is going to be utterly destroyed. And that never happened as described by the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah chapter 13 verse 19, you might jot it down in your notes. It reads in Babylon, the glory of of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and it will never be inhabited. So how was Sodom and Gomorrah overthrown? With fire and brimstone. So the indication is that Isaiah is saying that Babylon is going to be destroyed with fire and brimstone by a catastrophic event that's gonna take place. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse eight, Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Now those verses seem to correspond to what we're reading here in Revelation chapter 18, which is yet future. Now in Daniel chapter 5, going back to that book, when you read Daniel chapter 5, here is Belshazzar. He he's having a party. He is having a uh, there uh, with him. He has a thousand of his officials with him, and he's toasting. He's toasting to the gods of Babylon. And what he did is he pulled out those vessels that, that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, brought them back to Babylon under the captivity, put them in the Babylonian temple. He brought them out, the, the cups, uh, the vessels that were sanctified unto the Lord. And he gave them to his lords and they were using it to toast to the gods of Babylon. And all of a sudden, as that's going on, a couple things took place. Number one, we know that there was a handwriting on the wall. There was a big finger that was seen, and all of a sudden, you know, fear came into Belshazzar. He, he begins to cry out, you know, what does this mean? His magicians, his, uh, you know, uh, soothsayers, uh, all those guys came out. He said, what does this mean? And they could not interpret the handwriting on the wall. And then finally, the queen mother comes out and says, hey, your grandfather had this prophet from Judah, one of the captives, and he can interpret dreams. He will come out and he will uh, interpret this handwriting on the wall. So Daniel comes out. And he gives the interpretation, meaning, meaning, tekel, you That's the inscription that is written. And this is the interpretation of each word. Meaning, God, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, Belshazzar, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And and your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So Daniel comes out and says, Belshazzar, here's what has happened that god has numbered your kingdom and you're finished and you've been found you know weighed in the balances and you're lightweight and you're a dead man because this night your kingdom's going to fall to the Medes and Persians what was happening as they were having that party is that there was Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians that was outside of those tall walls And what he did was prophesied by Isaiah uh, some 200 years before it even happened. And it's interesting, we went over it when we went over Isaiah, that Isaiah chapter 44, uh, verse 27, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and into the temple your foundation should be laid. And in chapter 45, verse 1, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. Fascinating prophecy. 200 years before it happens, the Lord speaks through Isaiah. Isaiah is prophesying this about 720 B.C. And this happens this night that Babylon falls to the Medes and Persians in about 538 B.C. And and so what happens is, is that Cyrus, he dries up the Euphrates rivers. He diverts the flow, in other words, because the Euphrates rivers would run under the wall. And then there was kind of a moat, kind of a parkway, they believe, around the city. And then there was an inner wall. So he diverted the flow of the Euphrates River, which was a great engineering feat of that day. So it would dry up the beds, just as Isaiah said, that who says to the deep, be dry, I'll dry up your rivers. They walked under the outer wall, and then when they got to the inner walls, for some reason the gates were open. They went into the city, they killed Beshazzar and all his you know, uh, leaders and all those guys that were there, and they took the city, and that was the fall of Babylon. But Babylon wasn't destroyed. It wasn't destroyed like some of the prophecies suggest it's going to be. So Babylon fell. It lost its glory. There are other Bible teachers that say close enough. We're talking about a system. So the debate arises here. But this angel here declares that Babylon the great has fallen. It is a dwelling place for demons, for all the nations are drunk of her fornication. She's like poison uh, and referring to idolatry marked by greed and pride and wealth and luxury. Let's continue reading now in verse four. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues for her sins have reached. To heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. This verse really kind of struck me today as I was looking at this, verse 4 particularly. Because there was no call of this kind in Revelation chapter 17 concerning religious Babylon. But here is a specific warning not to be seduced by commercial Babylon here. Stay away. You know, come out of her, my people. You know, don't prioritize Babylon. Don't be captivated by it. Don't be enslaved to it. And I think that's a real important message for us here tonight. Because we as believers need to heed the same warning. And we may say, I'll never get sucked into a false religion. But the world is constantly trying to seduce us, isn't it? the world opposes jesus and offers that which is false and offers more than it can deliver in 1 john john would write anyone who has the love of the world does not have the love of the father and sometimes people read that and they think well aren't we supposed to love you know people in the world And what do you mean we're not to have the love of the world? It's talking about the world system when John says that. Of course, you and I, that we're to love people, that we're to give them the good news. That they will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. But we're not to have a love for the world system, which is symbolic of and points to and speaks of commercial Babylon, You know, the world system offers pleasure and self-satisfaction and possessions possessing you. That's one of the reasons I believe that the prosperity movement is so dangerous that has infiltrated the church and been so popular over the last generation, the last 40 years. Because it is getting people to prioritize wealth and possessions over Jesus Christ. Like, God is a celestial Santa Claus, and if you just give your seed faith, and if you proclaim it and have enough faith, then you can be wealthy, and you can name it and claim it, and and they tell you that you are to be wealthy, and that being poor is a curse and all of this. You just got to have enough faith and plant your seed faith. Give it to me, of course is what they say, and you'll get a hundredfold back. And that's the motivation of a lot of Christians. It's all about money and possessions and you even have to have a picture of that house and that boat and you need to speak to that picture all the time and you need to just name it and claim it and all of this. It is a tragedy of those who have been caught up in a prosperity gospel which is not the gospel and it's prosperity movement And it has destroyed many of those of faith because they've been disillusioned by it. The ones that are getting wealthy are the ones that are propagating that false teaching. And it's sad. And treating God like a celestial Santa Claus. And I think that we need to understand that there is a seduction and it's so subtle and it even comes into the church to where we begin to prioritize the things of the world. Don't share in her sins. Don't receive her plagues. You remember the story of Lot in the book of Genesis. Here's Abraham. And listen, as we go through this, I want you to understand this that it's not having money that is a sin. It's not being wealthy that is a sin. Not at all. It's the love of money, as we're going to see Paul writing to Timothy in this pastoral epistle that we're studying on Sunday mornings. He said it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. It is when we prioritize it. When we get so sucked into the world system that the Lord takes a back seat. And that's our motivation, is is building bigger barns You remember the parable that Jesus told in the gospel narratives in Luke's gospel that he said there was a man that he had abundance of crops and and he said, what I'm going to do is tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns and fill them up and I'm going to take my rest and eat, drink and be merry. And and then the Lord said, you fool this night, your soul's going to be required of you. And as Jesus told the parable, the tragedy of that man wasn't that he built bigger barns. Jesus told us the tragedy was he wasn't rich towards God. You see, Abraham, he was wealthy. He was a friend of God. David, he was wealthy. He had a heart after God. Solomon was the wealthiest man that ever existed. He had the wisdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man, the scripture tells us, John tells us. And he took the body of Jesus down from the cross and buried Jesus in his tomb. These were men that were devoted to the Lord. So I want us to understand something, that it's not a sin to be wealthy or have money, but we are to prioritize him in our lives. And then, of course, the Bible says, be good stewards of what he's given to us. So keep that in mind as we talk about these things. So here's Abraham in the book of Genesis. He has a bunch of herds of animal. Here's his nephew Lot has a bunch of animals. And they're, you know, herdsmen are budding heads. So Abraham says, listen, we're brethren. Let's separate. We got plenty of room. So Lot, you pick where you want to go and I'll go the opposite direction. And Lot, it says, look down the plains of, of Jordan. He said, it looked like a, 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 a garden. He looked towards Sodom. So you see Lot, he's outside the city. The next time when you read in the book of Genesis about Lot, he's inside the city. And then when you see Lot, he's sitting at the gate of the city, which was in a position of leadership. And God, in his grace, got Lot out of there. Come out of there, is what the angel said to Lot, you and your family, and they delayed, and they couldn't believe that judgment was going to come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And his, you know, uh, son-in-laws said, oh, this isn't going to happen. And he got his wife and two daughters out. And, and the angel said, listen, you've got to get out there in the book of Genesis. You've got to get out before I can do anything to this city, before judgment comes. And that's such a powerful picture of the church because Peter calls Lot righteous Lot. I look at his life and I think he wasn't very righteous but he's righteous Lot and we're going to be taking out of this world before God's wrath is poured out on a Christ-rejected world in the tribulation period. So I believe Lot gives us a picture of that. But Lot, he's there in the city of Sodom, and I think, how could he do that? Well, Jesus, again, in Luke's narrative, tells us that the Son of Man is going to be like the days of Noah, like the days of Lot. He said, remember Lot's wife. And Lot is there in Sodom because even though we think of it as we know that it was judged because of the great wickedness and sin and immorality that was in Sodom and Gomorrah. But something was there that seduced Lot into the city. We know it's economically prosperous because Jesus said that the coming of the Son of Man is like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were given uh, to selling houses and buying houses. Man, it was a happening place. It was a prosperous place. It was probably culturally stimulating. And him and his family, he led his family into Sodom. And they're there in the city. Then he's sitting at the gate of the city. There's a warning here. Come out of her. Don't get sucked in by it. This theme to leave Babylon and the worldliness and wickedness that is represented is repeated all throughout the scriptures. And I think that's a warning given to us because the world and the worldliness and the world's pleasures can suck us in so easily that it becomes a priority over our relationship and fellowship with the Lord. Come out of her. And in verse six, render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. In the same measure, give her torment and sorrow for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. The word in Greek for render there, you know, means to pay a debt or to give back that which is due. God will give to commercial Babylon what is due to her, and that is judgment. She has seduced the world into idolatry. She has glorified herself. She sees herself as a permanent queen forever and worshiped luxury, pleasure. Now she's going to be judged. She will be repaid double according to her works. It's interesting in Exodus chapter 22, that double restoration was required in the Old Testament in, in the case of a theft. That somebody stole something. You know what the world will do? It will rip you off. It will rip you off, Christian. And there's a lot of Christians that are being ripped off because they're being told to pursue worldliness and immorality and live for worldly pleasures. And they're getting ripped off of that true joy and peace that the Lord desires to give them, an abundant life that he has for them. Don't let the world rip you off, Christian. We are in the world. I know we all got jobs. We got businesses. We should work hard. That's not what I'm saying. But don't let the world become a priority and to steal away from you what the Lord wants to do and giving you that abundant life and blessing. Because this world is going to come to a disaster's end. As we're going to continue to see here. Babylon's going to come to an end. And notice that the threefold sin here. First, self-indulgence. She lived luxuriously. Second of all, pride. She glorified herself. And then thirdly, arrogance. She says, I am no widow and I will see no sorrow. All three of these things are characteristic of worldliness and materialism. In verse 8, therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So God's judgment is certain. The world's system faces total destruction. They say that Rome wasn't built in a day. It wasn't destroyed in a day. Babylon in this worldly system has been built over history, and it will be destroyed in a day, as verse 8 tells us. It will utterly burn with fire, suddenly, completely. You may say that you see no sorrow, but you're deceived Those of the world, in verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. We see that the kings of the earth are going to mourn and lament over the destruction and judgment of Babylon. And we read that in verse 10, that her judgment isn't just in one day, but in one hour her judgment has come. Now John seeing this must be absolutely blown away to see a large economic center city destroyed in one hour. And with the kings of the earth standing from a distance afar off for fear of her torment, they see the smoke of her burning, the judgment coming in one hour, Some think that this is an indication that nuclear weapons are used in this judgment of this commercial sinner. Or it could be that God destroys her with fire and brimstone like Sodom and Gomorrah, as Isaiah said in chapter 13. But let's continue here in verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys her merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood and every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble. So the merchants are howling, wailing to see the destruction of commercial Babylon. No more. Fine jewelry fine clothing, home furnishings and kitchenware, citron was used for fine furniture, ivory and bronze and brass and iron and marble, and then cosmetic as we continue, verse 13, cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense wine and and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and bodies and uh, souls of men. Isn't that interesting? The list is pointing to fine foods and gourmets and wines and exquisite delicacies, Uh, you know, no more luxury. And, And here, and bodies and souls of men, what is that? There are many that believe that perhaps that's speaking of pornography and prostitution. And we know that that is big in our nation, Sex crimes, prostitution, the sex industry, pornography, huge. It is poison and it's destroying our nation. And it's destroying so many people's lives. And here they are weeping over all these things. And none of these things deals with life's necessities. They're all luxury items. I, I think what it's saying to us is materialism gone mad. It's pleasure seeking. It's sensuality. It's senseless accumulation. And and, and you, as you look at this, um, it, it's not daily necessities in, in terms of daily living. These are all luxury items. And all the people of the world say, man, we weep because we want it more. And Babylon had it. And... It was wealthy in the world's eyes, but now it's gone in one hour. And the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, verse 14, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. And the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping, and wailing. Notice the phraseology, the fruit of your soul longed for is gone from you. It is foolish for any of us to prioritize materialism and possessions and to, to, to just live for those things because one day it is all going to burn. We should be thankful for what the Lord has given to us. We are to be thankful. But we need to keep a proper perspective that it's all going to go away, and we are to be rich towards heaven and store up our treasures in heaven, as Jesus said. And verse 16, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that has clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such a great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? In verse 19, and they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, a great city in which all who has ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour is She is made desolate. Now, this is where those who believe that ancient Babylon will be rebuilt in Iraq. There is a problem here with it. The text seems to point to a port city, not a city that's inland like in Iraq, this crying and wailing of the shipmasters. So some speculate that this is a city perhaps like New York or Hong Kong, something like that. Let's continue reading. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. We saw the response of the world weeping and wailing, and in verse 20 we see the response of heaven. There's rejoicing over this judgment that has been deceived in the world and ruined so many people, seduced many into idolatry, and then a mighty angel, verse 21, took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus, um, with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. And the sound of harpists, musicians, and flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore, nor craftsmen or any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. So the sound of a millstone shall not be heard, no more grinding away, trying to get possessions and luxuries and status, the Judgment is complete, it's serious, it's severe, and the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of, of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Verse 24, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on the earth. A couple things to note here. Notice your merchants were the great men of the earth. It doesn't mean that these were great guys. But they were powerful. They were influential. Had status. You know, position according to the world. And this one world government that is set up. And the guys are making a killing. Greed has overtaken them. Their souls. They just exist to make money. To have power secondly for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived that's intri- interesting it's the same word used in chapter 9 of sorcery that the people those who dwell on the earth refused to after we saw you know those trumpet judgments and, 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 and how bad they were the people refused to repent of their sorcery it's the Greek word pharmakia where we get our word pharmacy of drug use. So many believe that drugs, here it's speaking, is, you know, figures in huge in Babylon. And of course, we know that drugs are a huge problem. It's a huge problem in this world. Some say, suggest that, that Babylon is just symbolic of America. Because of the big drug use, economically prosperous, Wall Street and Hollywood and all of that. Don't know. And clue number three is in her was found the blood of the saints and the prophets. The persecution of Christians fall on Babylon's head. People say, well, you know, it can't be America because we don't persecute Christians. You want to see some of the emails I've gotten? Listen, I pray for revival for our nation. And I know that there's some decency and good in our nation. The Christians are here. We, we still have a voice. But our nation is heading towards a direction, spiritually, morally, on a great decline. I think persecution, if there isn't revival in America is going to become greater in America. To what extent, I don't know. But I think that persecution can come to this country to a great degree. And persecution can't happen. It's interesting, you can read some of the verses in Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51, speaking of the destruction of Babylon and you know Jeremiah chapter fifty one verse thirteen. You, you might want to just kind of jot it down. Oh, you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come. The measure of your covetousness. Now, historical Babylon doesn't dwell among many waters. It has one river that runs through it. You know and. In chapter 51, verse 49, Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall. So at Babylon, the slain of all the earth shall fall. It goes on to say in Jeremiah 51, verse 53, Though Babylon were to mount up the heavens, and though she were to fortify the, the height of her strength, yet for me, plunderers would come to her, says the Lord of hosts. Some look at this, fortified to the height of, you know, her strength. Some say, is that a picture of maybe speaking of the space program? I think that may be out of the boundaries of scripture. So some say, if this is symbolic of Babylon, that America, is it the one that is being spoken of? New York. You know, the, the trade center, the commercial center. I'm not saying that it is. But we know that it's speaking of a, A commercial worldliness system that's going to be destroyed. Now, is Babylon going to be rebuilt like some say it has to on the rivers of Euphrates in Iraq? I don't see it happening, but could it happen in the future? There's all kinds of scenarios that could happen, but I think for us today, we know that commercial Babylon is going to be destroyed. And and we know that it's going to come to an end. Whether it's America, it makes me, here's the thing, and you've heard me say this before, I'm concerned for our nation. One of the reasons I'm concerned is because we're not really mentioned in end time prophecy. Specifically. You have Europe that is mentioned. You have Russia that is mentioned. Middle East that is mentioned. You have the kings of the east that is mentioned, but you don't have America that is mentioned. So what does that mean? I don't know especially as America is the superpower of the world right now. So I figure there's one of two scenarios that, and I'm not saying that thus saith the Lord. This is my own opinion. One of two scenarios. Either we, as we get closer to the return of the Lord, we get so far away from the Lord that we're going to decline in power And we're going to see the consequences of it. I do pray that there would be revival in this nation. So when the rapture does happen, bam, a lot of us are out of here. And then again, that the nation is going to be weakened because those Christians are gone. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But it concerns me that America is not mentioned in the end times. Are we symbolic of Babylon? I don't know. I'm not ready to say that. But I know th- that we need to be praying. And we need to be praying for our nation and we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. The church is getting caught up in a lot of worldliness today in America. And we need to get back to the Lord. And we need to get back to seeking him. Come out, come out. That's what is being told to us here tonight. And I pray that we would know that these are definitely perilous times. You know, one of the things that we're going to see on Sunday is, you know, Timothy has been instructed on conduct of the church and church order. And then in chapter 4, he's going to say, listen, in the latter days the latter days the spirit expressly says that there are those who are going to depart from the faith and they're going to be given you know over to doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits timothy this is going to happen not that it might happen or i hope it doesn't happen as we move forward in the latter days That this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a departing of the faith by many. And they're going to give themselves over to doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits. And Timothy, you do well as a good minister to warn the people about that. So what is it that you are to do? You don't want to miss the next couple of studies in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Because it is very powerful instructing us what we are to do, how we are to conduct ourselves, how to be an example. These, these you know, present imperatives that are told to us, you need to do this. Let's strive together. Let's labor together, Timothy, in these things. And it is for us today because this world is coming to a disastrous end. And we need to be praying. We need to be praying for the church, praying for our nation, praying for our leaders as we already seen in 1 in, in Timothy we need to be praying because we are in perilous times. You know where I'm at? I'm just going to share my heart and I'm going to close. Uh, it concerns me that complacency gets in the heart. It, it, it concerns me. It can happen to me, to my family, to this church. What we are seeing going on around this, we should be on our knees. And I think services should be overflowing. We should be overflowing with people here desiring to hear the word of God, desiring to grow in the word, being warned of these things. Prayer meetings should be a priority. Serving the Lord in these last days, desiring to be a witness and a testimony of God's love to others should be a priority. Let's not get complacent, church. Let's be about the king's business. You know, when Daniel saw all these things, when he had his visions, it said, that he fainted. He was just so overwhelmed. He, he fell on his face. He fainted. And then he got up and he was about the king's business. And when we read all these things, it can be overwhelming in a sense. All these things that we've been looking at. Now next week, here's the good news. Jesus Christ is going to come back. The second coming of Jesus Christ, chapter 19. But it's been overwhelming and, and, and it can do that to us. But let's get up and let's be about the king's business and not get complacent And not get, you know, to where we get sucked in to the stupid, you know, things of the world that can overwhelm us, prioritize, you know, our lives. And and then we're taken away from the things of the Lord. I I hope I'm articulating this well enough. It's for me and for this church and for all of us, for our families. that the priority is Him. And living for Him and being good stewards of whatever He's blessed you with because we know, we've seen what's going to happen to the world. And we know that Jesus Christ is going to come back. The good news, we're going to come back with him and establish his kingdom. Please don't lose that sight. And we are here for such a time as this. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. And, and Lord, um, I, I hope it stirs our hearts, gives us a sense of urgency as we read this, because you are coming soon, your son, for the church, and then we 're going to see heavy things that are going to come down, and judgment on on this worldly system and everything that is false and so Lord, I pray that tonight we would leave here, first of all, encouraged and blessed because we belong to Another kingdom we're citizens of heaven, as Paul would write in first Philippians or in Philippians and so Lord, I pray that we would remember that and that we would prioritize you in every area of our lives. there is a seduction of the world that can pull any of us into it where it pulls us away from you and we get pulled into worldliness or worldly pleasures, looking for satisfaction, looking for, Lord, to be what we pursue, what we long for. And it ends up ripping us off. It doesn't mean that we're not thankful for what you have blessed us with, but the greatest blessing and the greatest riches is one who knows you and walking with you. And we have a heavenly inheritance that awaits us. So Lord, help us keep our eyes on you. In the days in which we are living in, we see the storm clouds that are gathering, the birth pangs have begun. It's all gonna culminate into these things that we've looked at over the last several weeks. And Lord, I'm thankful that we have the promise of the coming of your son. And so, Lord, we got people around us that we love, that they don't know you. So we want to be able to give them Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I pray that we would keep a heavenly perspective. know that this world is not our hope that Jesus Christ is our hope the only hope that there is to share that with others that we love to set them down and say I care for you I want to tell you what the Lord means to me and that he loves you and died for you that we wouldn't get so sidetracked by everything that we forget that we're To a lot of people, the only gospel that they get to see or hear, the only light they get to see in this dark world. Father, help us have a heart for the lost, but not a heart for the world, the world system. I pray for anybody here that you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to die for your sins because he loves you. And your sin has separated you from God. But Jesus Christ is our mediator who made atonement for your sins, the propitiation, the satisfaction of a righteous God, the requirement for sinful humanity. He took your sins upon himself, was a substitute for you and taken the wrath of the Father Upon himself. And then he cried, It is finished. And he was put into a tomb and he rose again. He conquered sin and death. He's the Son of God. And he loves you. And he says, Come. Come out of the world and come to me. And he says, Believe in me and you will have eternal life and forgiveness of sin and a new beginning. Will you do that if you've never done that? Religion won't save you. Never saved anybody. But Jesus will. And Right now you can pray right where you're sitting. If it means anything to anyone. Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you're alive speaking to me. Lord, I thank you for saving me, for giving me this new beginning. And I want to know you and walk with you. And I want to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for bringing me here, for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And if you did pray that prayer, as we have a prayer team up front, will you tell them the decision you made? But for all of us, may we go out of here just with the proper perspective to live for you, Lord, and not to be seduced by the world, by Babylon. Thank you for this time we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you please stand?